Nistazapod, number 199. We are only one podcast away from 200 episodes. That is pretty wild, folks. Let me tell you. Today we're going to be doing some Q&As, and I think actually, without any preamble, I'm just going to get right into it. Now, some of these questions I will likely um, answer on the live stream, which will be happening on Friday, about 8 p.m. Eastern Time. But in the event I don't get to questions or I don't get to all the questions or, you know, I don't have enough time to sort of thoroughly answer these questions, I wanted to sort of put them down in recorded form so that they can be referred to later because I think there's a lot of great ones here. And we're going to start with Paul Weyer. Finally got my Star Marshal in the mail. Love the sculpt, but I keep getting fixated on how narrow the torso is compared to the crotch. So Paul is uh, fixated on the crotch just to... to um, brief you on that. Uh, was this intentional or something that happened and you ran with it? Um, so first, uh, Paul mentions he got his star marshal in the mail. I think that is a great segue to talk about mail and deliveries and packages. Now, uh, you guys are really quite patient and quite great with, with me and your communications with me. Um, I don't feel like anybody sort of excessively uh, harangues me for packaging or tracking information or stuff like that. You guys know the the deal. You know what's up. Um, you know, everybody's pretty commendable in that regard. Uh, in the larger sort of toy community world, I see a lot of people griping and pissing and moaning about uh, package deliveries right now. And um, I think as squires of the slice, we can help inform everybody that uh, people need to fucking chill out, okay? If you remember back in September when uh, the current administration started these efforts to, you know, um, sort of dismantle sorting machines, to cut back staff hours, to put the squeeze on the USPS in a big way. Um, while that those efforts were successfully halted after massive public outrage and pressure put on them, the damage was done and the damage was not corrected since then. There have been no sort of uh, you know, filling in the gaps or an extension of, you know, any monetary support or things like that to the USPS from the federal government. So while they were not successfully able to sort of derail mail-in voting, they did absolutely put a ding in the workforce and in the sort of, um, you know, the supply chain of USPS. Um, this is also sort of uh, you know, current delays are also being felt by FedEx and UPS. Um, there is an incredible shortage of pilots coming out of um, East Asia. Uh, that that much has been communicated to me by a lot of people I work with. We also have, um, obviously, uh, record COVID numbers. Um, the pandemic is still raging. Uh, just, it's a sort of perfect storm for things to grind to a halt. Not to mention that where I am, you know, in New York and, and the rest of New England is pretty much, not that New York is part of New England, I've been corrected on that, I know, um, pretty much covered in snow at this very moment with uh, our good friend Matt Dowdy. I think they got close to two feet, which is pretty, you know, pretty par for the course for Boston area, but um, they're absolutely buried. So that is to say things are not arriving and things are not going to arrive in time for Christmas and... I myself, I mean, I have probably a dozen packages I'm waiting to 
arrive here, uh, including very crucial things like Turbo Atoll, the printed version. Um, a lot of the sales I thought I would have for Friday have been postponed and delayed until the new year because I'm just not going to have goods in time. And we have to, uh, you know, we have to make peace with that. We have to occupy ourselves with something else other than hitting refresh on our tracking numbers because uh, everything's grinding to a halt and we just have to sort of, you know, we got to breathe deep and understand um, it's not happening. And also, you know, it's very, very crucial what the USPS does. I know it's fun to sort of gripe about the the post office and going there and, you know, they get a bad rap, but um, you see what happens when we don't have them. And there is no sort of private, you know, company solution to delivering the mail. Um, so uh, hopefully this gets moving in better fashion in the new year. Um, it would be great if the sort of sequestering that's been done to the USPS is lessened with the incoming administration, although I don't see, uh, frankly, anybody talking about that or interested in that. But uh, maybe when you're out there in the digital world, just help remind people that, um, you know, it's a pandemic. There are sort of carriers who are sick. There's reduced staff. There is this enormous winter storm that just happened. There is all the uh, meddling that happened earlier this year. And um, we should be more patient and we should be appreciative of the people that deliver our mails. And uh, so go out there and, and help remind people, tell people to chill out. And, uh, you know, we can all just just kind of be patient as squires of the slice naturally are. Now, getting back to Paul's question. Uh, the torso and the crotch fixation. Yes, there is a discrepancy there, but um, it is intentional because this figure had to sort of be designed to serve many different purposes. One of the key parts is making sure that cowboy armor fits, and that is not an easy thing to do, uh, especially considering this figure was sculpted without final cowboy armor product or samples to match against it. We were sort of eyeballing a lot of these things using very, very hard resin prints. Um, and we would sort of uh, trim off the strap portions and just kind of slide the armor on and, and try to get a fit there. So um, it does look odd. There are, there are several parts of the sculpt that actually are, frankly, kind of odd looking. And, and that's because it is meant to, you know, work with the acid rain body, which is not manufactured by us. And then also this armor, which it primarily, primarily was sculpted to fit on the S-grain body. Uh, if you've noticed, the thighs are kind of an oblong, weird shape. Um, that's also because we needed those holsters to fit well. So a lot of toy design, and, and especially toy design where you're trying to integrate with a, a, a toy line that's completely outside of... Uh, you know, something you've created and is somebody else's sandbox, it's very, very challenging. And so there are these weird little anomalies, but I like to think of them as little details that make us unique compared to anybody else's toys. Kenneth West, who I have heard has been working on a new short film that just might be pretty groundbreaking, and uh, hopefully we'll see more about that in the new year. He says, is there a colorway you've wanted to produce that was just unobtainable for one reason or another. 
Um, yeah, the thing that comes to mind is that sort of marbled plastic effect. You've most commonly seen this on vinyl pieces and almost exclusively, but not exclusively, Japanese vinyl. Um, it's a very difficult process, apparently, and I've historically had a hard time finding Chinese um, factories that understand how to do it or are willing to do it and have this sort of wherewithal to pull it off. So that's something that, um, you know, I think you could imagine would be really, really cool, but has been incredibly elusive uh, for me in my production. I hope one day to figure it out. Maybe this question will sort of reignite my quest to get that done. Moving on to Joe, a great job on the Star Marshal. That being said, the port in the back leaves him open to a number of possible accessories such as jetpack, scuba gear, sword, uh, and sheath, crossbow, arrows, quiver, any chance of getting these accessories. Uh, I hadn't, I haven't quite thought about how to best do that. Um, it is of interest of mine, uh, for sure. I think if you guys, uh, follow Mechanicoid, um, he's done some, he did a really cool jetpack sort of spiral zone sort of vibe using Glyos pieces. So, um, we definitely have the port there for things like that, but I have not had a moment to kind of sit down and figure out what is the best way to, like, maximize that. Uh, moving along, we got a couple of questions from Matthew Paquette. Will future releases of MoFos only utilize the Suitman body, or will there be seeing other MoFo molds in the future? I think for the, you know, the foreseeable future, it's just going to be the Suitman body, and that is the designation for these mofos we sort of designed it so that all of the head types can fit on there with a little bit of finagling for example the female character you're going to want to use a saima torso obviously uh but yeah generally the suit man body is going to be how we sort of bring those mofo characters to life there's there's no current plans for other mofo molds um can I update everybody on the four Design of the Night figures from the fundraising campaign? Am I going to share the designs ahead of time, or will they be released sight unseen? Will any of these be part of the fundraising campaign, uh, like the Instant Army slot, or will these be individual releases? Do I plan to roll out them one at a time or all at once? Um, these are good questions. I think we're probably going to keep it under wraps, what the fans, these four fans have designed um, if there's a strong consensus amongst those four people that they would like these designs to be shared, uh, maybe we will do that, but probably we're going to want to do that tied into the eve of a release so that when people see these things and they get excited by it, we offer them the option to purchase these or, uh, pre-order if for some reason they missed out. So I, I think, uh, a tease could happen, but we got to sort of be smart about when that is. Um, the current plan, I only have Sen 5 figured out right now. As I've mentioned before, we're going to stagger the releases. Sen 5 is in the tooling process as we speak. Uh, sorry, he's in the quotation process as we speak. And likely some of the tooling will begin prior to the Chinese New Year. Chromega, I do not believe, will be quoted or uh, the tooling will begin prior to Chinese New Year, which puts him as a little bit of a later release. But as the Sen designs are nearly finished, I think likely that, uh, and just a quick side note, uh, there are two Sen fan designs and there are two Crow uh, designs. So 
there's a sort of even split with what uh, our design and night people have decided on. Um, one of the Chromega fan designs will be part of that instant army, and then one of them will be a sort of uh, solo release. And likely, I would like to see that happen with Crow as well, but we're very far away from me sort of doing any color studies or designs for Chromega. He's now entering into his sort of 3D tweaking stage where I basically debug him and, and fix all the uh, glitches and things like that. Um, I do not think we're going to roll them out all at once, so it will be kind of a staggered release. But if you guys are interested in this design and night thing, um, and you back that sort of instant army, the chances are you will get uh, one of each, a Chromega fan design and a Sen5 Crow design with that sort of eight, uh, eight figure tier that you backed. I would also say if the process of designing a figure is interesting to you guys, just remember when we hit 200 patrons, we will start a brand new Design a Night figure tournament and uh, by popular vote, we will decide together what kind of uh, character we're going to do. So um, if that's of interest, we've always been just on the cusp of achieving that. I think we're going to see an influx of people when I do a public enrollment for the uh, Patreon and Action Figure of the Month 2021. But uh, you can, you know, tell your friends. Maybe they just want to hop on as a $5 patron. That helps us get closer to that goal of 200 people. So... Uh, I'll leave it to you guys to pop out there and spread the word. Two more from Matthew Paquette. Uh, with us returning to Pangaea Island this week, will we see construction bugmen again and the unknown fate of Grasshopper Knight download to be revealed? And have we ever seen Saima in her Keeg form in the story? Um, so, our little jaunt to Pangaea Island this week... It's probably not what most people are expecting, but it's going to be fun. Um, I, th I think we will encounter Construction Bugman again. And there, yeah, there's a strong possibility at some point in the future, distant future, you'll figure out the fate of Grasshopper Knight's sort of downloaded soul. And um, maybe you've already come across it. You just don't realize it yet. Uh, has Saima in her key form ever been in the story? I think her hair color was accurate um, in the story where she met Rex um, for the LA Knights release. Um, that was sort of her standard sort of purple pinkish hair. She does change her hair color all the time. And then I'm trying to remember, I don't know. I don't know if we ever depicted her in that sort of Keeg color way. So, um, Maybe that's something that will happen sooner than later. Moving along, Gordon McKinnon Hall. Is the climate of Pangaea Island all jungle? Could saber-toothed tigers or mammoths be lurking on the island as well? Or is the island ruled only by dinosaurs and humans? Fantastic question. Not something I had thought of previously. But I gotta tell you, I love uh, those sort of later period mammalian extinct creatures. So I, I think I'm going on record as saying there is a pocket of mountainous region that uh, has these creatures and I, I look forward to going there someday. So I was uh, essentially pulling apart hundreds and hundreds of uh, a, a certain 
forthcoming action figure. It, it's a uh, style of mofo. Um, and my brain was a little overdone from this repetitive action of opening a bag, pouring the parts out, separating the parts, rebagging them, etc. And I had a pile of them sitting in a uh, cardboard box as I was sort of completing the task and putting them away. And for a split second, I, I sort of looked down and I thought like, oh, what figure is that? Is that some old Kenner figure? Is that from Star Wars? I didn't immediately recognize it. And I thought that that was such a, uh, a telling thing, right? I've sort of toiled my entire life to produce figures that could look like they existed in the 80s or the 70s or the 90s. Um, there's nothing technologically about my figures that, you know, they would be impossible to sort of produce in those eras. And obviously, the whole aesthetic of the toys I release is, is a big homage and love letter to those toys I grew up on. And in particular, my love of sort of oddball, off-brand, uh, you know, bootleg characters, specifically in the three and three-quarter inch scale. So I, I think it's remarkable, obviously I was overtired and undercaffeinated, but I think it's pretty remarkable that my own brain just casually saw one of my figures and thought it could be this, you know, this missing link, this this relic from the heydays of action figures. And uh, I think that's pretty effective toy making, and it, it makes me feel like we've arrived at a very good moment for Knights of the Slice and this brand. So just some uh, anecdotal food for thought there. Moving along, Gabriel Tovar. He said he absolutely loves the work we put into Star Marshall. The question is, who is the quickest gunslinger? Is it Star Marshall, Peasy, or Tanner? Don't forget Detective Smith, although he has not arrived yet. Um, I'm going to go with Star Marshall, absolutely. But I'm going to... Uh, complicate things by saying it's a specific version of Star Marshall that has not yet been revealed. But he is the quickest gunslinger, no question. Uh, all apologies to Kit Lau. His guys are good, but they're not as good as this guy. Jonathan Ortiz. Welcome, Jonathan, by the way. I'm new to the Knights and so have missed past releases of accessories such as clothing items. Will these be reissued at some point for Squires? Um, I don't really reissue old stuff. There's very rare occasions. Uh, for example, recently I did the Chaos Knight. That is a sort of new take on a very hard-to-find figure from our early years. Um, I don't really rerun stuff, and I don't rerun stuff in the same color. Your best hope for cloth items that have previously come and gone is occasionally when I'm cleaning out the warehouse, I find stuff, and I usually offer those up to patrons first. There's always the chance of a sort of warehouse find that uh, you guys could benefit from. But generally, I try to sell everything that I make and sell it out completely. Now, if you like soft goods and clothing items, 2021 is going to be filled with them. I went very heavy on some big numbers for a lot of different garments, including some new designs you guys haven't seen. I'm excited about. So those will be coming down the pipeline in the new year. And uh, if that's your bag, you're going to be very, very happy indeed. And it, it is my bag. I can tell you that much. I, you know, I love cloth goods and uh, it just adds such a fun dimension to the figures, even though admittedly they're pretty goofy and, and usually look oversized. 
We're in the Tomimoto zone, folks. Lance has got quite a few questions. How often do I donate to GoFundMes? What are the types of requests that I gravitate towards and why? Uh, unfortunately, it seems like every day I'm donating to a new GoFundMe. While I'm glad GoFundMe is there, it is pretty despicable that it has to exist. I would say the majority of things going on on GoFundMe are, of course, medical-related, which is a fucking travesty that, uh, you know, this is even a consideration for people. Truly sad state of affairs. And then if, if you really break it down, the other stuff that's on GoFundMe is things like pets and home repairs and fires and things like that. All stuff that arguably could be solved by the spare money people would theoretically have if they didn't have to pay for really shitty private health insurance. So, um, you know, it's, it's not a good thing that GoFundMe exists, although I'm happy it's there. Hopefully, it's only a Band-Aid solution before we can get some actual meaningful reform that doesn't require us to use a platform like that. Um, I tend to gravitate towards GoFundMes that are related to people I know. And that's only because, you know, I have limited resources. And I think you can lose yourself on that site and, you know, be so paralyzed by the overwhelming despair in the world that you're unable to do much of anything. So I tend to limit my activity to people in my, my general vicinity that I know and have some sort of connection with. Um, and, you know, I, I just... I try to imagine I may end up on that site one day and that I hope people sort of react the same way I do to these uh, pleas for help. So, there you have it. Do I still actively play with my toys or do I mostly display them now? Um, sort of neither, and I'll explain. Um, if I have enough downtime and free time, yes, I, I love to, you know, lay on the carpet and set up some zip lines and get back in touch with my inner child. It's a lot of fun, and it, it adds to the stories that I sort of write. It's very inspirational. Um, I, sadly, I don't get a ton of time to do that. So uh, what the reality is with most collectibles that pass through my doors is it, it probably sits unopened in a pile on my dining room table for several months. I have in front of me, I'm looking at it right now, the gigantic... Barracuda Bay Lego pirate ship. Um, I have no fucking idea when I'm ever going to get around to starting this thing. It's beautiful. I love Lego pirates. They were big when I was a kid. That was like the, the big new addition that Lego introduced. I don't know when I'm ever going to get time. Maybe after this. Maybe I'll force myself. Um, so I, I don't even really get to display stuff. It's usually sitting in a pile waiting for some free seconds. Um, that is the unfortunate reality of a independent toy maker. Although I will say thanks to Clutter Gallery selling me one of their gigantic display cases that is now set up in the workshop, I do actually get to sort of have a little more curated, clean looking display area. So um, more frequently these days, I am able to sort of put stuff on the shelf. Do I ever play with the rare Kaneko Man Stadium piece that I'm so proud of? Uh, it is, of course, one of my holy grails, if not the holy grail. Uh, I don't get to, and it's actually kind of in disrepair, a lot of the 
characters have fallen down and it's very dusty. It, it is due for some maintenance. I, I'm also thinking about pulling out all the, the Keshi that are in there and replacing it only with Japanese Kaneko men. Um, it, right now it has like Super 7 minis and uh, you know, it's all over the place. I think maybe it should be more cohesive and just have, you know, Japanese Keshi in there. But we'll see if I find time to do that. It, it's certainly, uh, it's on my short list. What is my favorite Kaneko Man piece? Um, that's a really good question. I, I do have some Kaneko Man CCP vinyl figures, which are like pre-posed. Very, very dynamic sculpting. Um, those I really like, and I, I was able to get one of these sort of the original appearance of Kaneku Man when he was still like sort of a Ultraman ripoff. Um, there's recently a, a sort of like couple versions of that iteration of the character that I was able to get a hold of, and I really like that. Um, I, I got so many. That's the one that sticks out for me, though. Have I tried using the Knights of Slice switch pin on older Acid Rain figures to put my own heads on older Kitlao figs? Um, I've done sort of the opposite. I have modified some old Acid Rain figures to work on Knights of the Slice figures. Um, and also the Just Toys Fallout figures. Those work really well for older Acid Rain head types. Now, as astute collectors may know, there is a head conversion piece that is included with this, uh, with Captain Peasy and his ilk that uh, allows you to kind of swap between our respective body types, um, you know, each other's heads. I believe that the conversion piece only works for the newer Acid Rain figures, um, you know, from like this past year and, and beyond. It doesn't work universally with all Acid Rain figures. But um, a step in the right direction, I'd say. Coming up next, a newer patron, Zach Maisie. Welcome, Zach, if I hadn't said so earlier. He's all in for the Butlerian Jihad. However, as much as he loathes social media, he would have never been able to discover Knights of Slice without it. I feel like if we return to mail order, we would also need a return to the fanzines we grew up with. Is there any infrastructure in the Glios community to support this? If so, then let me know where to send myself address stamped envelope. Um, so n there's there's not a <laughs> there's not a uh, infrastructure to support fanzines. Uh, you know those are a, a labor of love. I've actually done previously as patron gifts some fanzines. Um, you know that those are only ever things that will not make a profit. You have to do those just because you sort of love doing it. Um, you know, and, and there is a dichotomy here because nobody would know about Knights of the Slice without these social media platforms. And my entire business is sort of, you know, owes its livelihood to the major platforms that we see today. However, it can still, those can be true statements. My livelihood could depend on the Instagrams and the Twitters and all of the platforms of the world. That can be true, and it can also be a net negative experience, which I think is pretty clearly what the territory we're in now when it comes to social media. I would say that 
indubitably over the past couple years. It's probably been about a, you know, a seven to five year decline, but really within the past 18 months or so, we have seen the profound effect, the brain rot, really, that has uh, been induced or exacerbated by social media. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the solution is. I know for me personally, I try to limit the hours in which I'm online. Uh, I've sort of deleted my personal accounts or they lay inactive and dormant. And, you know, I just use these platforms for solely Knights of the Slice and things like that. Um, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a sort of very convoluted, very big, big issue. It may be the issue of our time. Um, and I don't know what the answer is, but I know it doesn't feel very good. I know it's taken a, a really negative toll on my immediate family and our relationships, as well as, you know, friends and, and just every, every sort of aspect of human interaction has been transmutated by, uh, you know, the technology we see before us. And I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But for me, lessening the amount of time in my life that is spent on these platforms has been a huge help. The, uh, the comment previously about going back to having a sort of toy catalog and a mail-in thing, all like nice antiquated ideas, probably pretty difficult to execute in, you know, in pen and paper form the old-fashioned way. But I bring that up as a concept because I think it's important to remember that commerce existed outside of these platforms and you know the exchange of currency for goods made by a craftsman that existed long before the current system that's in place so we shouldn't think that in the future you know, the, my ability as a craftsman to sell my goods to people is dependent on social media. And we shouldn't think that it only happens solely because of the capitalistic system that we see before us. Um, you know, this would exist prior to that. This would exist in an alternate realm where that was not this sort of standard hegemonic, uh, you know, global marketplace that it is. And it will exist beyond the end of this current system, however that end may sort of come about. So I, I use that I, idea of a sort of mail order catalog as a way to illustrate that, you know, while social media has undoubtedly been very positive for my business, my business in some form will exist beyond what is currently in place. Gregory has a great question here. Is there a certain kind of accessory you always love to see with action figures that would make them a near instant buy, like guns that shoot water or ropes with grappling hooks, which are two of his favorites, by the way. Uh, you hit the nail right on the head. Ropes, zip lines, love it. Can't get enough of it. I, I remember, um, well, pre-COVID, you know, pretty, pretty recent history, I went into a drugstore and they had a Ben 10 figure um, some kind of fly insect type guy and he had a zip line yeah instant buy there you go I don't I don't think I own any Ben 10 figures but um, that was a no-brainer for me I love zip lines I love sky commanders um, truth be told I have been sort of 
doodling in my sketchbook for what my version of a Sky Commander's type line would be. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but it's been a fun little experiment to be sure. Um, but yeah, zip lines all day long. No brainer. We got another new patron, Renee. Welcome, Renee. Uh, he says, he or she, sorry, I don't know. Renee can be a uh, male or female name. I'm guessing this is a male. I don't know. Who knows? Let me know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, please don't cancel me, everybody. I subbed to Action Figure of the Month on the 13th. Does this mean... By the way, Jesse could be a male and female name. I deal with this all the time. Okay, back to the question. I subbed to Action Figure of the Month on the 13th. Does this mean I'm good for December's mailing? Or am I going to start getting figures in January? By the way, love the work you've been doing. I've been meaning to sub for a while. So thank you, Renee, and welcome. Um, that, th that thank you was gender non-specific, by the way. Just want to clarify that for everybody. Um, so you signed up December 13th. You are going to get the final sort of unpainted material style gift, um, which should start going out after this sale. Honestly, people are not going to get this till January. Um, I just, you know, there is going to be no way that uh, goods from this upcoming Friday sale will get out before Christmas. And, and probably likely it's going to be first week of January. So first week of January, people will sort of, the majority of patrons will get their December gift, which is an unpainted material style figure, which features a special secret, maybe two. Um, a small portion of people that actually bought something early in December have already gotten that gift, and uh, the reactions were pretty shocked and pretty surprised. Um, so, uh, everybody who's here in place at the $30 level and up, or uh, I think there's one or two people hanging on to that $25 tier, you will be getting a the the very last unpainted material style Patreon gift for December. Then in January, the gift will become a fully painted action figure of the month club figure, and that's going to be very exciting. Uh, by the way. Lots of questions about Action Figure of the Month, enrollment, things like that. Uh, right now, we're at capacity. I have pretty much everybody that was on board last year signed on to next year, with a few exceptions. And uh, also, we've welcomed a couple people uh, who are new. Um, I will probably have a small opening of a couple slots, maybe like 10 slots. Um, within the next few weeks. And then in January, I will open up probably about 30 slots and do a sort of public call to enroll. These are gonna go very, very quick. Um, and keep in mind, I have to keep numbers very tight for the first couple months as I figure out what our sort of ebb and flow is. And uh, the last thing I wanna do is sort of oversell the Action Figure of the Month Club because uh, it's gonna take a long time to get new goods at a higher quantity due to the Chinese New Year. So um, if you're locked in a place, thank you very much. And, you know, I'm happy for your business. If you're still sort of waiting for an opening, waiting for a slot to uh, manifest itself, or you're anxious about the public enrollment or things like that, uh, just hang in there. I'm really going to do my best to get everybody what they want. Um, it's, you know, this is a process. We're, we're going to go through it together, and I don't have all the answers, but uh, I think generally 
I try to get people what they want and treat everybody fairly. I think my track record speaks to that. Uh, beginning this sort of post-pod recap the morning after our live stream, all the uh, questions were sort of uh, answered on this pod the day before. Apologies, I was not able to get to everybody's questions in this pod, and I also was not even able to broach the subject of questions during our live stream, which was one of our shorter ones, uh, but a lot of fun. I do want to thank you guys for turning out. Um, it is a highlight to do those. It's a lot of work, and... Um, it's, uh, it's been a fun part of the year, and I look forward to doing more. I look forward to seeing you guys on the 25th when we unveil the Action Figure of the Month December. That's our final one. Very exciting. Um, very strong showing for the Glow Dino. Thank you guys for turning out in mass for that. You sent a strong message that uh, dinosaurs should become a part of Knights of the Slice in a bigger way in the future. And I'm going to do my best to make that happen. Uh, I'm waiting for the workshop to defrost itself. There is still about a foot of snow on the ground and, uh, probably not going to be able to get out there until, um, you know, a couple days when it's all sort of subsided. Uh, I'm hoping to then put together everybody's parcels, get them out the door but I would not hold out hope that it will be delivered before Christmas. I think in all likelihood, most of the stuff will be showing up in January. That should bring us to our next drop, which really is just dependent on when goods arrive. As I said on the live stream, quite a few things are still on their way to me. Um, but, uh, you know, that is the toy hustle for sure. A thought came to me as I was struggling to fall asleep last night, and I had to get up and jot it down, and I'm going to share it with you now, and I think it's important. I know there's a lot of people here who are creative types, who aspire to sort of put something out there into the ether to get recognized, to get their their stories told, their characters created, and that thought is there is no such thing as writer's block or creative block. I just don't buy into this. I think it's a construct, and I don't think it's it's a real thing. I think it's an excuse people use. I also think it's a failure to understand what the creative process is and what is useful and what is not, and even that unuseful things are still part of the creative process. Uh, so let's say you have an hour in the day in which to write or to do comics or to create or whatever and say you're not in the right mood and you sit there and you twiddle your thumbs and you get nothing done um you know you can say oh i have writer's block it's it's not my fault oh this writer's block is plaguing me oh it's following me around it's preventing me from doing anything um it is an excuse unfortunately folks it absolutely is you know as a uh, comparison you can take an hour and you can sit there and you can not have anything profound to put on paper, but you can still put your pen to paper and you can just catalog your day. You can do write very mundane things. You can sketch things that are, you know, uh, 
bad anatomy and are not final product and don't, you know, don't go anywhere. That is creative waste and that is an important part of being creative and and making things. And I would say when that hour is up, even if you have nothing usable for the bigger project you're trying to push forward, you have pushed past the block. You have not allowed that construct to become a reality in your life. And I want to encourage everybody to become familiar, if you have aspirations to sort of be a creator, become familiar with just putting pen to paper and get rid of the idea that every single session has to bear fruit because I think that that's that's a bit of a poison pill. Uh, The creative waste is equally important as the sort of productive creativity time that you have. And I would love us all to sort of move away from this idea of writer's block or creative block. It's, uh, I think it's, uh, it's a cop-out. So take this uh, proclamation from me and maybe it's useful for you as you chisel away at your ideas. Final thing I am compelled to go through here is, of course, The Mandalorian and Season 2. I have to add this to Stazapod because I keep getting calls and texts from friends who want to discuss it, want to know my thoughts on it, and uh, I have finally watched it. So if you haven't seen it, please don't listen to this next part. Save it for yourself. Go watch the final episode. Um, it, it is a surprise worthy of not being spoiled, for sure. Um, so, from here on in, I will be talking about spoilers. What are my thoughts? Uh, you know, pretty great finale. They did something I suspected they were going to do, which is show us Jedi Luke. This is a sort of, I, uh, a great bemoaning of any Star Wars fan is that we didn't get to see Luke in action, you know, post Return of the Jedi. And they have served that up here. And uh, I think it was reasonably well done. Now, of course I'm going to have gripes. My main gripe is they really should have just had Sebastian Stan play young Luke Skywalker. Because the guy is a spinning image of a slightly aged, younger Mark Hamill. You could still have Mark Hamill do the voice. I think that's fine. But within the Disney stable, you have a really fantastic actor who has this uncanny likeness to what a sort of post-Jedi, um, you know, Luke Skywalker would look like. I feel like they should have utilized that tool in the toolbox. That being said, you know, there's a lot to really like about that episode. Um, I have read the criticism that the sort of death troopers were omnipotent and then simultaneously became battle droids, <laughs> which I think is is a fair critique. Um, you know, I, th- I think that largely one of the Mandalorian's more challenging aspects is they, they don't really have good opposition to the heroes. You can only watch them effortlessly breeze through these high security places and just murk every single stormtrooper with one single shot from a, a pistol, not a carbine. Um, you can only see that so many times before you're like, okay, well, who would ever be afraid of a stormtrooper? But um, I digress. It was fun to sort of watch Luke shredding through those uh, very, very cool designs. 
I think also the... Two important things here. One is that... After Season 1 of Mandalorian, the top brass decided Mandalorian was the flagship for Star Wars. And that's why they're allowed to show all these things and do all these things and, and go for broke. And they're, they're taking very big swings here and they've landed almost all of them. I was hesitant about Boba Fett being put into this. I think he was handled perfectly. And he didn't overshadow everything. They made the smart decision of saving Luke until the final episode because... Once you see that, you only want to hear Luke's story. You only want to follow him from this point on. I don't know if there's a season three. I don't know if it's worth watching without Grogu and Jedi Luke. Do we really want to follow around the Mandalorian uh, absent of those two characters? That I'm not sure. So it, it's very apparent that after this, the initial success of Mandalorian, Disney knew what the tip of the spear needed to be. It was Jon Favreau and Filoni... And they really gave them the right to do whatever they want, and it, it paid off. It, you know, they largely stuck the landing on all this stuff. So, kudos to them. I, I do not imagine the films, if there are any moving forward, are going to be able to top what Mandalorian, especially Season 2, was able to accomplish. I do think it would have been cool to have Boba Fett on the bridge when Luke came in. Maybe Boba, like, lifts his rifle to take aim at Luke, remembering who he is, and, you know, that's intervened with. But I also understand they sort of gracefully had Boba exit the action so that Luke could kind of come in and do his thing. I like the idea of Boba taking over for Jabba. Uh, apparently, when you're the crime boss in Tatooine, you become very fat. So, uh, who I am assuming was Bib Fortuna, was obviously quite corpulent since uh, the end of Return of the Jedi, although... I thought he was on Jabba's sail barge. Could be wrong. I did notice his staff was the staff that came with the toy, which I don't think was too prominent in the original Return of the Jedi film. Um, so this may explain why Boba Fett present day has a little more bulk around his midsection. He was actually just sort of gearing up to become the new hut, uh, which requires you to just be a little rounder. And uh, obviously very clever writing there. And uh, they, they seeded that in quite early. Very nice reveal in the final act. So overall, uh, pretty damn strong season. Lots of excitement, lots of surprises. Um, I don't know where they go from here, but uh, I will be tuning in. It'll be interesting to see. I, I am sort of somewhat disheartened by the slew of show announcements that have come with the latest uh, Disney presser. Um, there, there's sort of one constant thing in the universe, not just in Hollywood, but it's that quality does go down the more things you have going on. There's no question about that. You, you cannot sort of, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you can't have quite this many irons in the fire. Um, whether or not they pull it off remains to be seen. But uh, I think Mandalorian, you know, glad it exists. Very fun ride very helpful distraction this past year and uh you know my hat's off to them they did it very very difficult stuff to navigate and to do but uh they pulled it off so here's to you mandalorian pizza out